Hello, I'm Shane Hartsfield, pastor of Beaver Baptist Church. Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast. If you have any questions about what it means to follow Christ or questions about our church, direct you to our website, beaverbaptist.com, for our contact information. Weekly, we study exegetically through books of the Bible. And now, join us as we dive into today's passage. First Samuel chapter 12, Israel is sinned by rejecting God as their king and Samuel as their leader. And they didn't want God. They didn't want Samuel to lead them. They wanted a man like Clint Walker. They wanted a big old sharp-looking dude who was the last one standing in the, in the fight. They wanted somebody who would whip tail and take names. Somebody to represent them, to make them look good among the nations, just like all the nations did. And that grieved God's heart. I mean... What's wrong with wanting to be like the world? What's wrong with that? Everything, right? If you're an Israelite, everything is wrong with that because God wanted them to be set apart, as Blake said in our worship time, wanted the Israelites to be set apart, to be holy, to seek Him and to depend on Him in everything, for everything. They wanted a figurehead. They wanted the security of an earthly king. Think about that. They wanted the security of an earthly king instead of the security of the heavyweight champion of the world. I mean, God hadn't lost yet. Up to this point, he hadn't lost, and he hadn't lost yet. And when the Israelites, when they were submitted to the Lord, guess what? Skylar, they hadn't lost yet either. When they're submitted to the Lord, yield to the Lord, obeying the Lord, they were invincible because God was on their side. But yet they rejected the safety that God offered, and they wanted the security that come in a faulty, fallen man. They wanted to be like the other nations. The end of chapter 11, last week, God had given them Saul, who looked like a king, right? And God had been good and gracious, and he gives Saul and the Israelites victory over the Ammonites, and they're rejoicing at Gilgal, at Saul's inauguration. They just had this this big victory in battle, and there's an inauguration going on. Saul's going to be the first king of Israel, and you have to think about the Israelites they weren't real, real smart. They about like us. And they were thinking, you know what? We knew this was going to happen. If we had us a, a, a big old strong king to lead us, guess what? I knew we were going to be victorious, right? So that's what's going on at Gilgal. They're all excited. They're all happy. But Samuel is there. And Samuel is an older man now. And he wants one more conversation with Israel. They're having this big celebration and Samuel steps up to the mic, and what will he say in 1 Samuel chapter 12? What he says reveals to us that, number one, Samuel is blameless before the Lord. Look at verses 1 through 5. Morgan read those for us, and we'll just hop, skip, and jump through here. But it's, the, it's, it's as if Samuel, who's, it's almost like he's passing the torch. If you read chapter 11 and chapter 12 together, and it's really important for us as a church, as we're going through First and Second Samuel, that's what we're going to be doing. We're going to be in it for, for a long time. So I want to encourage you, if you're going to be here, to read through First and Second Samuel. And it's, it's, it's two of the most interesting, action-packed books in the Bible. If you have children, read aloud. I'll just encourage you, fathers, if it's today and you haven't read your Bible to your children in a long time, just sit with your child. It doesn't matter how old they are. Just say, let's just read some of 1 Samuel together, and read through it. It's action-packed, and it's fun, and it's awesome, and your kids will love it. It's a great story. It's a true story, but it's a great story. 
they're having this inauguration and Samuel's older and he's about to pass the torch to Saul and he is given somewhat of a State of the Union address and everybody's happy but Samuel's got something important to say. He tells the people, well, you rejected me but there's really no reason for you to reject me. He says, well, you wanted a king and I gave you a king, and of course, that's God's will. The Lord told him that. I'll go on and give him a king. If that's what they want, go on and give it to him. But you warn them, and you tell them what it's going to be like. Your king's going to be a taker. Take, 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 take. And Samuel had warned them. And notice it says in verse 1 that his... I've obeyed your voice, made a king over you. He said, now I'm old and gray. Look at verse 2. And behold, my sons are with you. That's pretty significant. You think, what is that referring to there? I I think this is what is happening here. If you remember Eli, his adoptive father, Eli didn't do so well when it comes to his boys, and, and he's culpable. He's blamed in the Scriptures because his sons, who were the high priest, were doing horrible things there in the tabernacle and he didn't do enough about it. But yet Samuel's not blamed for his wayward boys. And I think the reason is because although he set them up as judges, they're no longer judges anymore. And so although Samuel is a father to wayward children, he's not blamed for it in Scripture. And I think that's significant. So the, the judges, you could say this is the, the last nail in the coffin for the judgeship system established in, in Deuteronomy. There's no more judges after Samuel. Verse 3, Samuel puts himself on trial. He says, you have this worldly king, this figurehead that you want. And so he asks him a question, why do you find me unfit? to lead and to be God's spokesperson for you. He's been rejected, and he's upset about that. God tells them in chapter 11, it's okay, go on and and appoint for them Saul. And that's what he does. But he says, what have I I done wrong? Why would you reject me as your leader, as God's spokesperson? It's almost as if he's the defendant and he's asking them to be the prosecuting attorney. What fault do you have? And he asked for anyone with a just cause to testify against him. And this isn't the first time that we've seen this in Scripture. If you read the Exodus account, as the Israelites leave Egypt and they're headed towards Sinai and eventually the Promised Land, you see Korah, you see Dathan, and they revolt against Moses. And Moses' response was the same as Samuel's. Moses tells him in Numbers I haven't even taken a donkey from these people. Why are you opposed to my leadership? And and Samuel says the same thing. And he asks, what have I done? What have I taken from you? How have I mistreated you? And what was their answer? Look at verse 4. He asked them and they 
It said, you have not defrauded us or oppressed us or taken anything from any man's hand. So he asked him, what have I done? What have I done? How have I offended you? Why have you rejected me? And it's like crickets, right? They didn't know what to say. Well, uh, you really hadn't done anything wrong. Samuel, he's blameless. And they have no reason to reject him as judge and prophet. But they do. And it's interesting, there's, a, there's a, really a contrast. If you look at Samuel's life and then you look at the, the first king, there's a stark contrast between their characters. The well, second thing that Samuel tells them in verse 6 through 11, uh, 13 is that God is blameless as well. He put, he put God before him. He says, okay, I haven't done anything wrong. You, you, I'm not blameworthy. You can't find anything against me. He has this blamelessness about him. He says, what about God? What has God done wrong that you would reject him? What fault do you find in him? In verse 8, what does he say? Well, he's only delivered you from slavery in Egypt. That's not so bad, is it? And what Samuel is doing in these verses, he's rehearsing history, right? I know some don't care about history. They're not history buff. I'm not a history buff. I don't really care about history. What does that have to do with me? Well, history matters. It has everything to do with you, right? We all have a history, right? We wouldn't be here without the faithfulness of those who've gone before us, right? Preaching and teaching and translating the Bible, giving their lives for the sake of the gospel. We wouldn't be here without the faithfulness of God, right? I mean, here we are in Tipton County, 2019, and we're worshiping freely in a very comfortable place. Anybody hot? Anybody cold? We'll fix that for you, right? We have the ability to do that. We have a very comfortable environment. You're sitting in padded pews. We're going to get out by 12. Nobody's going to be mad. I mean, we really have it quite well, don't we? What a blessing to be here and to be able to worship the Lord. And God's really been good to us. And he was good to Israel. Delivered them from the hand of the Egyptians. Verse 9 through 11. And they entered the promised land. What happened? Well, the Israelites forgot the Lord their God. So what did God do? He gave them over to those left in the land. And for the record, those left in the land he refers to, they shouldn't have been left in the land, should they? Why are the people in the promised land? Why are these pagan nations still left in the promised land? Because the Israelites didn't obey the Lord and drive them out. So what did God do? God gave them over to these pagan nations in the promised land, right? They're going to go in and conquer and divide the land. And in the end, the land ended up conquering them. Because God gave them over to these Hittites and the Canaanites and the Philistines. And they were oppressed by these pagan nations because they forgot the Lord. But what happened? God was merciful. And as they cried out to the Lord in repentance, Lord, we've forsaken you. We deserve all of this misery. But God, would you please be gracious and would you save us? And so what did God do? He tells them in verse 11, and the Lord sent Jeroboam, that's Gideon, and Barak, and Jephthah, and Samuel. And he delivered you out of the hand of your enemies on every side. And you lived in what? In safety. So what has God done to you? God has only delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians. And he's only time and time and time again delivered you from the hand of your enemies in the promised land. So what, what God is really doing here, Samuel's giving them a, an overview of redemptive history from the time of 
captivity in Egypt through the time uh, up to the, t- the current time. And we do that in, on Wednesday night with the children. We do a timeline, and we teach them. If you want to know your Bible, ask some of our children. They'll teach you how, the timeline of the Bible. They know it quite well. Our 6th through 12th graders on Sunday morning, what do we do this morning? They learn the timeline of the Bible events in history. And that's what Samuel's doing, giving them an overview of the chronology of the, of the redemptive history up to that point. And what has God done? He's delivered them. He's delivered them. He's delivered them, and he's given them safety. He's given them safety. He's given them safety. As Israel submits to the Lord and obeys them, they're safe, and they have victory over their enemies. But when they rebel against the Lord and live like the pagan nation, God gives them over. So they'll be miserable, so they'll cry out to him again. And it's interesting, Samuel, he's the last judge, the first prophet. And under Samuel, as he leads the people, and he's being God's spokesperson to the people, there's safety. There's safety. Things are good. But guess what? They didn't want that safety. They didn't want that care. They want to be like the nation's. Samuel says in, in verses 12 and 13, you know, you, you even said you wanted a king. You rejected him. You rejected me. And you said you want a king. Guess what, God? God's so good to you. He actually gave you what you wanted. He gave you a king. Big old tall, handsome dude to lead you, to make you look good among the nations. So Samuel's blameless and God is blameless. They're put on trial and they can't find any fault in them. These two that you've rejected, you've rejected Samuel, you've rejected God. But what about Israel? Verse 14 through 25, Israel's not blameless. And just as in the story of the judges, where the Israelites cry out to the Lord in repentance and, and God delivers them, here again, the Israelites cry out to the Lord. Look at verse 19, and all the people said to Samuel, pray for your servants to the Lord your God that we may not die, for we have added to all our sins this evil to ask for ourselves a king. Verse 20, and Samuel said to the people, do not be afraid. You have done all this evil, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. So what did they do by asking for a king? They committed this heinous, evil crime against the Lord. And in verse 14 through 15, Samuel reminds him of the covenant blessings. If you remember at Deuteronomy, the book of Deuteronomy, as he uh, gives the second rendition of the law to God's people. The first generation had died in the wilderness. And so the second generation who hadn't been taught the things of God, God through Moses reteaches them the law. In the last part of the book of Deuteronomy, there's this blessings and cursings. Let's just turn real quickly there. Deuteronomy 28, if you would, if you have your Bibles, um, page 199 in the Pew Bible. These blessings and cursings, they're really, really important in the history of salvation. Deuteronomy 28, look at verse 1 through 6. This is the law, and this is what God had told the, the nation of Israel. And if you, chapter 28, verse 1, and if 
You faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today. The Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth, and all the blessings shall come upon you and overtake you and, and if you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall you be, shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground and the fruit of your cattle, the increase of your herds and the young of your flocks. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you go when you go out. In other words, if you submit to the Lord and you obey them, Israelites, guess what? Life's going to be really good for you. Life's going to be really good. Look at verse 15 through 19. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all of these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall you be in the city. Cursed shall you be in the field. Cursed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock. Cursed shall be you when you come in and cursed shall you be you when you go out. So here are these covenantal blessings and cursings. If you obey and submit to the Lord and, and obey, yield to him, he's going to bless you. But if you disobey, he's going to curse you. And so back in in. 1 Samuel chapter 12, Samuel reminds them of these blessings in verse 14 and 15. If you will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, and if, if both you and the king who reigns over you will follow the Lord your God, it will be well. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then the hand of the Lord will be against you and your king. So let me tell you what's going on here. See, God has this covenant with his people. And he says, if you obey me, I'm going to pour out blessings upon you. Now, we've experienced that really, I mean, all of us to some degree in our own lives, haven't we? I mean, think about it. The best times in our lives is when we're really submitted to the Lord. And things are, you're safe and things are good, right? Even if things are hard, things can be good because God is just with you, right? But when we're outside God's will doing our own thing, that's when it gets, we're out of his protection and things just don't go well. We think about our own lives. But what, what has happened up to this point is God, he's, he's going to pour out blessings upon the, the, the individual Israelite as they obey, and he'll pour out cursings as they disobey. If you obey, things are going to go good. If you disobey and rebel against me, then it's not going to go well. If you obey me, your crop, you're going to have a good crop this year. You're going to have a good harvest. If you disobey me and you're rebellious, guess what? Don't count on a good crop this year from my hand, the Lord said. But up until this point, it's God's dealing directly with the people. But this is what happens when they ask for a king. It shifts, things shift from dealing, God dealing directly with the people to now God's going to deal with the people through the king. You have those pictures? So up to this point, God is dealing directly with the people, okay? But what happens with the asking for a king is things change. They want a king, and so the king, what happens, he, he begins to be the mediator of God's blessing to the people. And so you'll see their God, he's dealing directly with the king, and then if things go well with the king, guess what happens? Things go well with the people. Before, it was just them individually. If they obey the Lord, God bless them. If they disobey the Lord, there's a curse. But now, all of a sudden, they have a, this figurehead, this mediator of the covenant, this king. And so what happens now is if, if the king is obeying, guess what? Through the king, God blesses the people. 
That's good, right? That's good if the king's good, right? If the king obeys and submits to the Lord, wow, we got the people are going to be blessed. But what happens if the king isn't obedient to the Lord? That's the problem. What about the king who's, who's rogue or who's self-absorbed or who's not loving, not good? Then guess what happens to the people? God pours his cursings out on the people. See, as the king goes, so goes the people. If the king's faithful, the people are going to be faithful, and God's going to pour his blessings upon them. If the king's not, God's going to pour out curses upon the people. Because as the king goes, so goes the people. Okay, so there's a shift going on here in, with how God deals with his people. One, the king, okay, great. I'm going to give you a king. What's the problem with the type of king they wanted? If the, if the king obeys the Lord, God's going to bless the people through the king. But what's wrong with the king they chose? He's a broken man. He's sinful. And God's going to begin to pour out cursings upon the people. And so Samuel is asking the people, are you going to obey the Lord and let him pour his blessings out upon you? Notice he says, you and your king, right? Because now it's dependent on the king and how he's going to obey the Lord or not. If you and your king obey, guess what? Blessings. If you're going to disobey, cursings. Now, this isn't a question. You know, it's not this Joshua scenario where he's going to, okay, choose this day whom you'll serve. He didn't specifically ask a question, but he's wanting a response. Are you going to obey or are you going to disobey? Are you going to obey and receive the blessing of God or are you going to disobey and receive the cursing of God? It's not really specifically a question, but he's wanting a response. And so while he's waiting on a response, Blake, this is what he does. Look at verse 16 through 18. Now, therefore, Samuel speaking to the people right? They're, they're having this big party, right? They just had a big, great victory. Saul's inauguration. They're all excited. Samuel's addressing the people. He says, now, therefore, stand still and see this great thing that the Lord will do before your eyes. Are you going to obey or you're not? Okay, while you're waiting, while you're trying to decide, while you're thinking about it, pondering this thing, let me, let me, let me do something for you. Is it not wheat harvest today? Now, in their culture, during the wheat harvest, it was very dry, dry, dry time. It didn't rain. So it's time for the wheat harvest. I will call upon the Lord that he may send thunder and rain. And you shall know and see your wickedness is great, which you have done in the sight of the Lord in asking for yourselves a king. So Samuel called upon the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day, and all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. And the Lord says, you've done a wicked thing. And they say, we've done a wicked thing. God says, are you going to obey and be blessed or disobey and be cursed? One or two options. While you're thinking, let me, let me show you something. A little object lesson here. And he prays and the Lord sends rain and thunder. And the people are freaked smooth out. They're so scared. Because they recognize what an evil thing they've done by rejecting Samuel and the Lord. And they've asked for this bonehead of a king to lead them. 
kind of think about that sometimes with your children, don't you? I think about that sometimes. My children, they don't want to obey. I'm thinking, you know, God, if you just make them leprous for a second. You know, if you don't obey the Lord, the Lord could get you. And like, you know, like, not all their body. I just like, like one arm for a moment. You know, also leprous, you know. And they're like, <gasps> see that? Like, oh, maybe, I, you know, do you ever think like, I think like that sometimes. <laughs> I wish I could do that. Lord, would you show my kids that this is really serious and they really need to obey their father? You know, boom, leprous. And then just for like 10 minutes. No, maybe 30, 30. And then it'd be like, be all right, right? Get the fear going in them. But that's what happened here. They're just so afraid. Now they realize, wow, what have we done, right? And so they have done this wicked thing. And Sam, what did Samuel do? Samuel's so awesome. He's one of those Christ-like figures in the Bible who's so blameless. He says, that's right, and you deserve whatever you get. You can have Saul, and you're going to get what you deserve. He didn't do that. What does he do? He calls him to repent. Look at verse 20. What do you say? Don't be afraid. They're so afraid, and they realize they're so guilty. And he says, don't be afraid. You have done all this evil, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. And don't turn aside after empty things that cannot profit or deliver, for they are empty. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great namesake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. Look at verse 23. Moreover, as for me, and they ask him, oh, will you pray, will you pray for us? Samuel, pray for us. God, I'm, we're afraid, and we've sinned greatly. Will you pray for us? And what is his response? As for me, far be it from me that I should, cease, should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. And I will not only pray for you, but I'll instruct you in the good and right way. You know what? As long as I'm here, I'm going to keep telling you, keep teaching you, and keep directing you in the right way. I'm going to keep being God's spokesperson until I am no more. Only fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. For consider what great things he has done for you. But if you still do wickedly, you shall be swept away, both you and your king. Kind of get to the end is kind of application time, right? Sometimes we, we marvel at, at Israel's disobedience. I mean, how could they do that? You ever think that? Man, that was just terrible. How could they be such a wicked and obstinate people? Can you believe they did that? Yet, yeah. are we not so much like Israel? Just by way of application, let's think through this. How should we apply this text? I mean, God has been so good to Israel, and yet Israel rejects them, and they don't want this safe, satisfying God to rule over them. They're, they're trading that for empty things, broken cisterns, empty things. How much more are we like that? Aren't we like that a lot? I mean, think about our lives. God has been so, so good to us. Well, what do you have that, what do you have good that God hadn't given you? Some of you have children. Some of you have parents that love you. You've been blessed. You got jobs and you're somewhat healthy. Those that aren't healthy, you got people that love you. A lot of you got money to spend. God's been so good to us, didn't he? He has been. He's been good to me. 
But yet, so many times, we, we want to trade those safety and all-satisfying God, and we want to run after things that don't satisfy. Maybe it's success, maybe it's money, maybe it's position, maybe it's relationship, maybe it's activity, maybe it's pleasure, maybe it's comfort, and they're so, they just don't satisfy, and we just run after those things, and we repent, right? God gets our attention, and we come back, but then after a while, we do it again, and we don't even see it sometimes. We're so much like Israel. I know I am. And, and you, may be, you may be a believer, and you're sitting there, and you're thinking, you know, but I, I don't really, you, you're, you can't think of ways you exchange the safety of submission to God with broken cisterns. And maybe you are. You're at this point, in this point in time, you're just like, man, I just really can't see anything in my life where I'm doing that. Well, I want to encourage you to do something. I want to encourage you to read the Bible and study the Bible. Because what's going to happen is you read and study the Bible, what's God going to do? He's going to reveal those idols in your life. I mean, the Lord has a board, Blake, for every behind. And how many of us can say we don't need the Lord's discipline? If you can't find, if that's you and you can't find, you can't find that thing, you can't find that area of your life that you're putting before the Lord, I'd encourage you to read the Scriptures. Read the Scriptures, because we... We're so lacking when in so many ways we're so unlike the Lord and we're so prone to wonder, aren't we? And forsake the Lord who loves us and gives us all good things. So the first thing to do for us by way of application is just repent of seeking those things to satisfy us that never satisfy us fully. And if you're not in the scripture and you say, I just really don't know any area of my life that's just out of whack, I encourage you, delve into the scriptures because the Lord will show you Really quickly, because really, to be honest with you, I know we've got some really godly people here. We really do, but man, we're really not like the Lord. We're really struggling. We're not like the Lord in so many ways. I encourage you to read the scriptures. Secondly, notice the mercy of Samuel. He was rejected by Israel, yet he says in verse 23 that he's not going to fail to pray for them. Don't be afraid. Not only will he pray for them, but he'll instruct and admonish them. Isn't it interesting? God never turns away a repentant sinner. Ever. Somebody who repents and runs back to him. He never turns them away. And if God never turns away a repentant sinner, should we? Should we? I was talking with a good friend this week, and he has a, a, a great friend of his he grew up with, and got involved, he was an investment broker, and got involved in some um, using monies, not an appropriate way, and he was losing in one area, and he was taking some other people's money that invested and moving in other areas, da-da-da-da, and all this stuff, and, and he got found out. First, he was just trying to recover these people's money, and after a while, it just got out of hand, and he turned himself in. He was convicted by the Lord, he's a believer, and he turned himself in, and he went to prison. He went to prison for a long time. And I was talking to this friend, he, said, he was just sharing with me because he really hurt because this, the church where they were, this guy was really repentant and, and he says nobody in the church 
reached out, and now he served his time. He's done his time. He's, you know, he's, he's paid his debt to society, I guess you could say, and he's back in living in the area and said, man, nobody, just, nobody would reach out to that brother, and nobody's reached out to him, and he's just, he's a brother, and he's repentant. And he just has, no one's reached out to him. And I, I got to thinking about that as I was reading about the Samuel. I said, yeah, you know, we blow it. And we have people in our lives, they blow it. And they blow it in every area. But, man, if, if the Lord doesn't turn away repentant sinners, should we? We need to be merciful, right, like Samuel. And reach out to people and love people. And we're all broken. We all have clay feet. And maybe, lastly, maybe you're here and you've, you're like Israel, and you've, you've wanted to do things your own way, and you're pursuing all of these things that never satisfy, and you have never come to a point and been broken over your sin. You've never had godly sorrow over your idolatry and your lack of love for the Lord and your self-absorption. Maybe today you're thinking about your sin. Maybe it's been going on for weeks or days or and maybe you're broken over your sin like, like Israel was when they said, we've sinned, we've done this evil thing and you recognize, wow, I've really sinned against the Lord. I want to encourage you to repent, turn from your sin and Trust Christ's work on the cross as your own. Jesus came and he lived and he obeyed for us and he died for sinners. The sinners could be reconciled to the Lord. I love that verse, verse 20. Do not be afraid. You have done all this evil. So I say to you, if you're a, a person and you've yet to repent and trust Christ, I want to read this and this is for you. Do not be afraid. And, and really we are, aren't we? I know when I, when I realized I was lost and I realized I was going to hell, you know what I do, Chase? You know what I, I was driving. I was like 17. I was about to go to college, and I would I remember driving so careful. You know, young boys they don't drive too timidly. You know, but I was so scared because I thought, you know, if I have a wreck, I'm going to hell. It was like three months driving like me, Mom. I mean, I was so scared. I thought I'm gonna have a wreck, and I'm gonna die. If I die, I'm going to hell, and I was afraid. And maybe some of you, you're afraid. You realize that you're lost, and you've been dealing with this for a while, and you realize, I've never repented. You talk about repentance, repentance. I've, I've been in church my whole life. I've never really heard about that, but the Bible says we have to repent and believe, and I've never done that, and so I'm afraid because I'm afraid I'm going to die. I'm going to be in hell forever, separated from the Lord. Verse 20 is for you. Do not be afraid. You have done all this evil, yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. I want to encourage you to repent and you trust Christ's work on the cross as your own. You say, well, what does that really look like? Well, it looks like something like this. You just tell the Lord, Lord, I've been living for me and I'm self-absorbed and it's all about me and I don't even think about you very often and I've been doing this my whole life and it doesn't satisfy. I'm guilty and I know I deserve God's worst. God, I deserve your worst, but I don't want to live for me anymore. I want to turn from living for me and I want to follow you. And, and believe means that you, you're saying, Lord, I don't want to live for me anymore. And I trust that Jesus, the work he did on the cross was for me. And he rose from the dead for me. And I recognize he did that 
for a sinner such as I. And I don't want to take that for granted. I want to trust him to forgive me today. Father, you tell me if I confess my sin, you're faithful and just to forgive me of my sin. I want to do that today. Confessing my sin, I want you to forgive me. I want to follow you all my days. And I want to be able to call you Father. I want a relationship with you. Maybe that's you. You can tell him something like that. Repent and believe. Don't be afraid. Only follow the Lord. Because apart from the Lord, nobody, nobody is saved. There's only safety in the Lord. Safety in the Lord. Thank you for tuning in today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast if this message has been helpful to you. Again, if you have any questions, go to our website for our contact information, and we'll see you next time.